The Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Hi, Avination. My name is Maria Pedersen and I run the Instagram account called Pilot Maria. I fly the 737 around in Europe and this is my story. What is going on, Aviation, and welcome to the Pilot to Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today, we are talking with Pilot Maria. I still can't even believe that we're able to get Pilot Maria to come on. It just goes to show how much Maria truly loves aviation. And I truly think that sharing her story will help women in aviation and anyone want to get into this amazing career. Some of the things that we talk about today, how her dad unintentionally gave her the aviation bug, the biggest struggle for her in her training, what private aviation is like in Europe, a couple scary stories from her training and flying throughout Europe before she was flying 737s, and how it took her two years from completing pilot training to get a job with the airline that she is currently at, and just basically what she did in those two years to fill that void, and if she ever thought about quitting aviation. I truly hope that you guys enjoyed today's episode. It was a lot of fun to talk with Maria, to talk about the differences between aviation and Europe and America, and to see some of the similarities that we have, and that we all have our own individual struggles and in getting to where we want to get in our career. I am so thankful for Maria for coming on the podcast. Like I said before, this is such a great story, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you guys. A quick note before we get started, the website is now out. If you head to pilot2pilothq.com, you will be directed to our new website. This is version 1.0 of the website. We're going to have a complete updated version 2.0 coming out soon. It's going to have so much more information, so much more stuff for you to tell us, for you to submit your story, for you to connect with me. But right now, this is just for us to get on the internet, to get our podcast out there, to get a landing page for our website. So let me know what you think. If you like it, let me know. If you don't like it, let me know. Pilot to pilot hq at gmail.com you can send all your feedback and as always leave us a review if you love the podcast go to our itunes page or go to our instagram at pilot to pilot and let us know what you think we love creating this content for you guys it is a lot of fun and i hope to see where this goes and without further ado here's pilot maria hey maria thanks for coming on the pilot to pilot podcast Thank you so much for having me. No problem. I'm glad we get this worked out. As everyone knows, pilot schedules are so crazy and it's just so cool that Instagram can connect us and that we're able to do this and talk to each other in two completely different countries and get this podcast going. I know. I know. What time is it over at yours now? It is three o'clock right now. Three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And cool. it's nine o'clock in the evening. Oh, here. that's crazy. <laughs> So cool. Let's go ahead and get started a little bit. Uh, the first question I ask everyone is just why aviation? Okay. So for me, I, I didn't know that I wanted to be a pilot when I was younger, or I didn't know that I had the option to be a pilot. So I didn't really allow myself to think that I could be a pilot. I was 24 when I just finished a backpacking trip in South America and I came home and I, I wanted to do something where I could keep traveling. I couldn't see myself just staying at one place all the time. So I was thinking, okay, what should I do? And then pilot came to mind. My dad used to fly single engine airplanes when he was younger. He was never a commercial pilot or anything. He just did it for fun. He stopped flying before I was born. But he kind of unintentionally gave me the interest. He used to take me to airfields and look at the airplanes and explain to me why they lift their nose and et cetera, et cetera. And when I started to think about pilot, it just felt right. It felt like something that's what I meant to do. I have to do that. Now I just have to make reality. How do I do this? 
I just went home and I put, I opened Google and I just searched like, how, how do I become a pilot? And I found a flight school near the city where I lived. So I went there on their recruitment day and uh, about eight months later, I started their school. That's really cool. It's awesome that the impact that someone can have on your life just by taking you to an airport. Like, I don't, maybe your dad didn't even know that that's what he was doing by planting that idea in your head to be a pilot, but he was taking you there and you just kind of fell in love with what you were seeing. And it's really cool to see that you are doing what you wanted to do. Exactly. No, he never wanted me to be a pilot uh, <laughs> to start with. When I said I wanted to be a pilot, he was always supportive, but it, I mean, flight training is very expensive and it was a lot of obstacles to become a pilot. So For sure. He was probably yeah. like, are you really sure you want to be a pilot? <laughs> exactly. It's a lot of money to spend on it. Are you sure? <laughs> so I know the best way to look into being a pilot is to Google it because you have so much information and it's so specific to where you are living right now. So you can get how to do it in your country, how to do it in a different country. So Google search is honestly one of the best ways to do it. But once you did the Google search, how long was it before, did you say it was eight months before you started flying with the flight school? Yeah, for me it was, uh, because I was already 24, I felt like I needed to start doing this straight away because a lot of the other people that was at flight school at the time were about 18 or 19 and I felt already that I was six years behind. Yeah. So I went there, um, they had a recruitment day just three weeks after I called them. So I went to the recruitment day. I had a look, I asked all the teachers and everything about the school. And then eight months after that, I started the flight school. Yeah, I was there in yeah about eight months later, I started. So what is the process like starting flight school? Like, is it, I know in America you go and you start flying Cessnas and you pay out of your own pocket, but it's not like you're not doing it full time. It's just like you do one hour a day, you do two hours in a week. You kind of, it's just all over the place. Is it similar to that in Sweden? You can do it like that. You can start and do just your PPL and then years later you can do your CPL if you want to. For me, I wanted to have it done as soon as possible. So I started my PPL in June and I finished it in August. And then I think I finished it on a Friday. On the Monday, I started to do my ATPL theory. I think you call it just ATP. Yeah, we just call it ATP, yeah. So I did that and that took me about six months. And during that time, I was also building my hours towards to get my CPL. Because here in Europe, you to get your CPL, you need to have 100 hours of piloting command where you fly without an instructor. So I did that at the same time as I did my ATP. And uh, then I finished in April the next year. So it took me from June to April to do the ATP and the PPL. And then I took a break for three months during the summer. And then I did my CPL multi-engine and instrument rating. I started in August. Well, this is the next year then. Okay. And finished it in December. Interesting. So you did private pilot license to ATP theory to commercial pilot license and then to instrument? Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. I I did kind of like did my CPL, my multi-engine and my instrument together. Okay. In the States, you kind of go private pilot license, then you go to instrument and commercial. Although some people can do their commercial before instrument, you just have more limitations on how you can fly and where you can fly and how far you can go with your commercial license. So it's cool to see that there's different, different ways to do it. Here in Europe, we have what's called modular and integrated schools. So integrated, you, you, I don't know what you call them in the States, but that's when you do like all the courses at once and you kind of pay off a big sum of money straight away. Or you can do modular where you just do every course by itself, PPL, multi-engine, and you do it in, in the pace you want to do it. And that's what I did because if you, after you've done your PPL, you realize like maybe I don't want to do this. At least you've only paid for your ppl for sure very expensive but at least you're not paid 
for the whole course. Yeah, in the states we have those schools. We have certain schools th- that just specialize in you pay me a lump this much money and we'll get you done with everything and this is the average date that we get it done. But the route I went was similar to what you did because I didn't want to spend all this money and then be like, well, that's not what I want to do. I wanted to find out after I got my private or after I got my instrument, if I didn't want to do it, I could get out without spending $150,000 or whatever the the crazy sum is. What we do is very expensive, but it is so much fun and so worth it. It is. I'm still paying it off though. And I've been playing commercially now for three years. <laughs> I know, right? It seems it's kind of like being a doctor. I feel like you're always going to be paying it off. You're always going to have some kind of debt or loan, but you love what you do. And sometimes there's nothing you do to get away from that. Exactly. Exactly. It was either that I should have buy a house or should have buy a pilot training. It's like, yeah, I'm going to go for the pilot one. <laughs> oh yeah. Pilot training is a lot of fun. I'd go for that one too. So you said you started your training when you were 24. What did, did you go to is it secondary or we call it college? Did you go to college for anything? Did you have any plan of doing anything else before you wanted to be a pilot? We have secondary school in Sweden. I did that. And after that, I just went off traveling for a while. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I did a lot of backpacking trips around Asia and around South America and around Europe as well. I moved to Cyprus in the Mediterranean when I was 20. And then first, after that, I wanted to start studying psychology but the problem was that I wanted to do I wanted to do researches on the brain, and I realized that's going to take me probably forever. I'm never going to reach that limit. <laughs> yeah. I figured that's going to be like 20 years sitting in school books, and that's not what I want to do. I just want to know why the brain works as it do. Exactly. Uh, but I, I figured out that okay, that's that's about what I can do. And so I did. I studied about one year of environmental science as well, and. Yeah. After that, I just took a break, traveled some more. And that's when I realized, okay, I want to keep traveling. This is what I want to do. So that's when I started my pilot training. That's really cool that you, uh, that looks like when you have that traveling bug, there's really no other job that can let you do this and pay you relatively well other than being a pilot. Cause that's what we do for a living. We just go to different places and it's really exactly. cool to experience new cultures, to experience new people. And whether you're just flying within, and America, if you're flying throughout the whole country, like the different states are so different and can have so many different things. And I'm sure it's the same thing in Europe with the different countries. It's just so many different cultures and it's so cool to experience everything. Definitely. And I fly with so many, uh, with captains from different countries all the time. And that as well, you sit for almost six to eight hours with someone in flight deck and you get to know them. And get to see the different cultures and so on. And yeah, it's definitely very interesting. For sure it is. And going back to your um, training a little bit, did you have any difficulties with your private pilot training? Or was it? did you say it was pretty easy? Was it pretty easy for you to pick up on it? Did you say you have any struggles? The most struggle for me, I think, was in the beginning because I finished secondary school when I was 19. And I started my pilot training. I did a psychology study in between. But I had a break from studying before I started pilot training. So I didn't really have the studying routine. Yeah. And it was quite difficult to get it back in the beginning. But once I did, I put up a schedule for myself. I woke up like on Saturday and Sundays when I didn't have any flight training. I woke up at seven and I set the schedule, which pages and 
what I need to read before I can have lunch. Then I had lunch half an hour. Then I went back again, studied more. And I did that for the whole of my flight training. That's a lot of information to know. And you sometimes you have to do that. You have to block out time. You have to motivate yourself, whatever it is. If it's exactly. letting yourself eat lunch or it's like rewarding yourself in some way to, to making it worth it for you to learn this stuff. Because, I mean, there's no way around it. You have to know this information. There's no way you're going to get your licenses, your ratings. There's no way you're going to get your the job that you want unless you know the information. So it's important to schedule out time and really get this stuff done. And it's cool that you got it done as fast as possible because another podcast like I talked about, get things done as fast as possible. It's going to put you in the best place for you and your career and help you get to where you want to get. Exactly. I did actually struggle with my landings in the beginning as well. Uh, I started flying the DA40, the Diamond 40, and you can't adjust the height on the seats on these. Oh, no. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not super short, but I was still too short for the airplane, I guess, because my landings, I just couldn't get them right in the beginning. And then one of my instructors told me, like, maybe you should sit on a pillow. And I was like, <laughs> really? You want me to sit on a pillow? No, I'm not going to sit on a pillow. That's really funny. I just thought he treated me like a typical girl. And then when he didn't see it, I just took a pillow and I sat on a pillow. And then I could suddenly I could see that church that they were talking about that I should navigate <laughs> to. And I could see the runway ahead. And yeah, then finally I could land after that. But it took it took a while. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing what actually being able to see where you're flying can help and make you <laughs> get you to learn how to <laughs> land. Yeah, that's really funny. You know, yeah. I had no idea what they were talking about before. They were just like, fly over to that house. And I was just flying towards where they were pointing. I had no <laughs> idea where the house was. <laughs> that's really funny. I never even thought about that that aspect. I'm six foot two, so I don't have to struggle with that. But it's it's funny to hear that because they'd be like, it's like, watch out for the tree. Like, what tree? It's like, what? What do you mean, what tree? You don't see that? <laughs> Exactly. And you know, when they always talk about like, okay, you should see the runway lifting as you rotate when you land. I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> I did That's not really see that at all. I was like, what did it mean? The yeah. runway, it's there right. somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Am I doing something wrong? Like what's going on? Is this guy crazy? <laughs> <laughs> the visual cues can help your landings out a lot and even on takeoffs and just flying in general. So it's very important <laughs> to have everything set up to where you can see <laughs> where you're going. Exactly. At least in the 737, we can adjust the height on the so that's, that's very good. true yeah, you <laughs> i can don't set need the to height. a pillow <laughs> i think that'd be funny if you brought a pillow though your passengers would feel good seeing you have a pillow in there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is she sleeping what is she doing <laughs> that was early in the private pilot training and then from what i've seen it seems like atp theory for you guys it's a lot of book work and a lot of tests is that accurate yeah we had tests every monday in school okay so that's why i had to study so much during the weekend because in the weekend i had to uh, go through everything that we gone through during the week and study for the, on Saturday and Sunday and then take the test on Monday. Uh, we do after that for the authorities, we do 14 tests, I believe it is. Wow. But it's 14 tests you need to pass for every subject like metrology and general aircraft and everything. Was, is that a European wide thing or is that just specific for certain countries? Uh, it's for the EASA rules. So it's a uh, general Europe. Is ATP, is that a completely different school than the flight school that you went to? Like, do you have to go somewhere completely different from that or do you still take that in the same place as your flight school? I, I took that at the same flight school as I did my PPL. Since I, I kind of rushed into my studies, I didn't do enough research as I should have done. So I just found a flight school that was in the city where I lived and they seemed really good and they were really good. They are still really good. But after I finished my ATPL, I realized that we were a lot of students in the same school. 
And the prices were a little bit higher after doing research as what they were on other schools where they had maybe less students, which meant that you would get to fly more. Because in this school, I was flying maybe just a couple of times a week and it was kind of like delaying everything. And so after my ATP, I actually moved school and I changed to another school where they only took five students at a time and they let us fly two lessons a day just so we could finish with a license. Yeah, That's good. Yeah. Flying, yeah, flying two times a day. If other people I've talked to, that seems to be a, a good, like fly once in the morning, you kind of study, take a little break and then you can fly later in the afternoon and that helps you keep exactly. your skills and that helps you accelerate your training a lot. Exactly. And I did everything together with a with another girl from flight school called Annie. So we were also sitting together on each other's lessons. Like I was, I would sit in the airplane in the back when she was flying and she would sit in the back of the airplane when I was flying. So we got to see everything twice. Nice. And that is something I would definitely recommend for everyone. If you can do, if you can sit with someone else while they take their lesson, you will double learn. You will. Oh yeah. When you become a, a better pilot is by learning from your mistakes and learning from other people's mistakes. So if you can see, I'm not saying she was a bad pilot or anything by any means, but just like if you see her make a mistake, then you can be like, okay, that's bad. And let me, let me not do that. And then she could do the exactly. same thing vice versa. So it's good to learn from exactly. other people's mistakes. And that's, it's good just to experience that. It's good to be in the airplane, be around aviation and continue to push you to do what you want to do. Exactly. She was probably the one that saw me doing the mistakes more because she's just <laughs> natural. She was. <laughs> Don't you I hate those naturals? Her, so yeah. yeah, I know. I was like, how can you get it like straight away? And you, do you not wobbling around like I do? <laughs> it's not fair. You can't be this good at this. How dare you? Yeah. So that school that we changed to, that um, they only had five students at a time, and that the previous one was one of them schools. You had to wear a school uniform, and everything was very fancy, which is good because they had a good structure on everything, and the ATP lessons there were amazing. The teachers were really good. But I like this other school as well because you could go there, you could turn up in your flip-flops if you wanted to, and they, they let you change the oil on the airplanes whenever they needed to do the 50 hours change and, and everything. So you got to kind of see the dirty side of it as well. Yeah. Get some oil under your nail fingers. And, yep. yeah. You got to see what it's really like to be an aviator and be a pilot and be around. It's dirty. It's <laughs> Sometimes it's exactly. not fun. Sometimes it's you get to see everything, and that's the best way to experience being a pilot. Sometimes it's minus 20 in Sweden and you still have to go to the airplane that doesn't oh, have any. Yeah. <laughs> so you learned a lot from the person you flew with. You still stay in touch, do you still stay in touch with her? Yes, we do. Yeah, she flies private jets now. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. Is there a lot of private jets being flown in Europe? Or is like is a general aviation and the, the private jets, is it a pretty pretty big industry like it is in the States or is it not as big? Not as big as in the States. I would love to fly private jets. I'm quite fortunate that the company I fly for, they have three private jets as well that they give their 737 pilots chances to fly. So, But I would definitely love to fly private jets. Um, we don't have as many jobs as you have over in the States. It's quite hard to get the jobs here because everybody want to do them. Right. But, did you do all of your training in Sweden then? I did all of my uh, like instructed training in Sweden. And then uh, I had to time build. I had to get 100 hours towards my CPL, which is what I did during the time as I was studying my ATPL theory. Mm -hmm. But I did that in South Africa and I did a European navigation as well because I didn't want to fly in Sweden all the time because they speak Swedish on the frequency. I didn't learn as much. So I felt, okay, I need to go somewhere else so I can see different weather and different ATC and how it works in different places. So I, sure. I did about 30 hours in South Africa nice. and 30 hours just a navigation around in Europe as well. That's really cool. I didn't even think about the fact that obviously English is the, the language for 
for aviation and I didn't even think about how you're in Sweden they're speaking Swedish and how it can be probably difficult to switch borders and switch to hear other people speaking German or then you switch to English and it's just a lot of languages going on back and forth and then you go somewhere exactly. where you in South Africa they speak English so it's just being thrown into it and that's sometimes the best way to learn so that's really cool exactly. that you did that yeah they, they speak very good English in Sweden like if you go on ATC you would speak English they would speak English back to you but it's still if I was ever in trouble and I couldn't find the English word, I could always speak Swedish. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to be put in a situation where I couldn't escape with just speaking Swedish. That's awesome. I'm glad you did that yeah. because that, that really means that you care about your craft and that you want to be the best pilot yeah. that you can be. <laughs> did you have a lot of troubles with the, the English when you went to South Africa? Did you have any like specific times where you really didn't want, didn't know the word that you're supposed to use? Uh, no, I don't, That's good. I don't think so. Uh, Cause the phraseology, you always learn in English and Sweden as well. Yeah. That's good. I think I understand people. It's more that people don't understand me. <laughs> <laughs> you speak English a lot better than I speak any other language. So kudos to you. <laughs> and then going back to uh, your training a little bit, did you have any scary experiences when you're flying, flying the piston aircraft? Did you have any engine failures? Did you have any just just scary things that happened, pull the mixture by accident or the flaps didn't work or anything like that? Uh, on the 737, I've never had any experience any close calls or anything uh, we have maintenance to check our airplanes every night when we park them that's so good they, uh, but on the seven on the sorry on the cessna actually i think i'm one of the few that have actually mid-air reversed the cessna 172 really <laughs> yes i <That's> had a- <laughs> me and these girls that i was doing all the flying ways we lived in different places in sweden and we said, okay, let's meet at this airfield, uh, bring a picnic, and we just watch the sunset or do something just to get some flying hours. Yeah. So I was flying from one city in Sweden, she was flying from another city in Sweden, and we would meet there. And I think I had about 10 hours or something after passing my PPL. I had close to zero hours. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I landed at this place in the Golden Tower. I don't know if she thought that I was someone else because she sounded like she knew me and she just said like in Swedish, okay, you can taxi to the, to the small apron, I think it's called Apron West or something, where the small airplanes are and you just park there. So I took that as a clearance. I was like, okay, I'm going to Apron West and just nothing more with that. Yeah. And then she asked me like, do you have the 737 on the apron inside? And this is, this is a really, really small airport. Like they don't have they have a 737 there once every Thursday during July and August. And it just happened to be at the same time you were there. Exactly. So that's how small this airport is. Like, they can take a 737 once a week. And I was like, I just looked around. And I was like, yeah, of course I can see it. It's like, it's right there. And uh, so she's like, okay, just just keep, keep distance. So I thought she meant like, you need to keep distance when I was taxing. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to drive into it. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Who do you think I am? Yeah, I keep distance. I taxied behind it. And at the same time, I could just, they, they were not Swedish, the guys flying the 737. At the same time, I could hear her clearing them to taxi. And I was like, wait, wait, hold on. Uh, what, what do you mean? Like, I'm, I'm right behind them. Are they going to start taxiing now? And I could hear them spooling up the engines. And I was kind of like parallel to them. So I didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't have enough speed to pass them. So I thought like, okay. To make the least damage, at least I can like try to turn the nose into the jet stream. Yeah, or for sure. Something. Like I had no time to think what I should do. So that's what I did. And I kind of like halfway managed to turn it. So my nose was 
towards the the airplanes instead and they put the thrust on and it actually lifted myself uh, one no way and <laughs> it reversed me mid-air and i landed like 10 meters away in the grass field like further off the apron i bet that and, was terrifying like, it was, it was like, I could see everything in slow motion and it was a Cessna as well, so it's high wing and I could see the wing almost touching the ground. It was so close that I twist over and I could see Annie as well, my friend, she was standing over there and she was like, oh my God, Maria, I thought that was the moment where you were going to die. Like I saw it in slow motion just happening, you twisting and it was all going to set on oh fire. Oh my gosh, that is terrifying. <laughs> But yeah, luckily it didn't happen. Uh, they did have to put some maintenance on the airplane and I couldn't fly it back. But apart from that, uh, no one was hurt. The, the guys in the 737 never knew about it. They yeah. took off and had no idea that I was behind them. Oh my goodness. That is, t- especially with you, like you said, you had such little hours. Like that was probably so impressionable on you. And it's probably the first time that you had anything like that happen. <laughs> Exactly. I, I thought, well, when she asked me if I could see the 737, yeah, of course I can. It's right there. And she meant, obviously, that I needed to go further away from yeah, it. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, are you clear from the 737? Because they will not be there for much longer. Exactly. They're going to start taxiing. Yeah, uh, and your I, plane I, will not I, do well. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're in the Cessna and you will, yeah. <laughs> so, the, so the real story is, did you log that as a landing, though? Yeah, for sure I did. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> you get another landing in that, that's for sure. That's good. Exactly, exactly. And reversed it. So I don't know if I should put minus time or if I could put plus yeah, time. You lost a tenth of, <laughs> of Hobbs time off that one. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. I'm sure your friend was terrified, but also glad that she was not in the same position that you were in that, that stance. Yes, it was lucky that she flew there in a separate airplane because then she could fly me back to to the city where I was from afterwards. Yeah, otherwise yeah. I would have been stuck. So you're building your hours, you're flying in Europe, you're going to different countries. Do you have to set up customs in every single country and show your passport? And do they have to check everything or is it pretty streamlined, pretty fast? And do they not have to check everything every time? Uh, no, you have to show, you have to bring your passport. You had to, we had to go through security everywhere. And some countries are not as strict. Some countries are more strict, but the procedure is that you have to show your pilot license, you have to show your passport and you have to even put your bags through scanners even if you're the only one that's going to be in the airplane oh really wow yeah yeah i guess we don't realize how lucky we have in america where there's still not really borders for us to cross it's just state lines and it's all the same you just you can literally just pick up and go go wherever you want and i mean you have you obviously have to have your private pilot license on you your medical and you have to have some id but you don't have to worry about your bags at all which is nice yeah i remember that i flew with a friend of mine i fly heli he flies helicopters in the states and we were on the apron i was like oh my god i don't have a high vis I was so terrified, like I didn't wear a high vis because here in Europe, whenever you're on an apron, even if you're on a private apron or wherever you are, you have to wear a high vis. And it's like, well, you don't have to wear a high vis. I was like, really? I don't really think you understood what I meant. But. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, no, it's it's relatively chill at a lot of airports. I mean, you go to bigger airports and you have to wear your your badge. You have to be security has to walk you out there. But overall, it's relatively chill. Yeah. So you finished all your training, you went to South Africa, you made sure that you could, you were proficient enough in English to where you felt comfortable to applying for other jobs. What is the process for getting a job in Europe? Like, do you, can you apply to every airline in Europe? Like, could you apply to Lufthansa? Could you apply to like British Airways and stuff like that? Or is it more, you only fly for those airlines if you live in those countries? You could apply for every airline, I guess. Some of them would have, uh, would like you to speak the language where they're based, like Lufthansa, I guess they would want you to speak German as well as English because it's their national carrier. I don't know if that's a requirement, so I'm not going to 
put my word on it. Yeah. But I think you would probably be preferred if you speak spoke German or if you spoke French and you flew for Air France, for example. Right. But you still have the opportunity to apply for them. I think you can still apply, yes. Yeah, okay. Cool. I applied. Yeah. <laughs> but I never heard anything back. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, they're missing out, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think uh, I bought a book, actually, which had uh, pretty much every airline in the world, every, not just airlines, but every private-owned company as well. And I just sent out job applications to every airline or every company there was. I even did research how you should make your CV stand out. It should be, and it said it should be on the paper should be a little bit thicker. It should be just <laughs> light blue. So I actually, I, I bought light blue papers that was a little bit thicker than a normal paper and I sent it out and I emailed as well because of course not often one have letter CVs, yeah. but I sent letters and I sent emails. Uh, but it took me two years till I heard back from the airline that I'm flying for today. And I think that's pretty good on having 230 hours at the time to hear back from an airline that has hundreds of 737s flying around Europe. So once you get out of flight school, is it normal for it to take about two years before you can get a job in aviation? In Here in Europe, I think it's actually sooner than two years. Okay. At the time, I was a bit frustrated and thought like, I'm never going to get a job. It's been two years. Yeah. But hearing other people's stories, I realized how fortunate I was to actually get a job within two years after finishing my flight training on a 737. Uh, mo some of the people I know that they finish flight training and then three months later, they're flying the 737 as well. Oh, wow. What do most people do after flight school? Like, do they, what airplane do they, do a lot of them go into 737s? So they go into smaller planes? Like, what's the general norm over there? We have a lot of airliners that hires a lot here in Europe that do fly the 737 or the Airbus series. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what a lot of people are going on. Uh, for example, like business jets and stuff, that's a lot harder or difficult, more difficult to get. You have to know people to get them jobs. Right. It's more of who you know than what you know. Exactly. The airline I worked for, I had a lot of friends flying for them. They couldn't help me at all. It doesn't matter if whoever you know, you still have to wait your assessment and it doesn't really make sense because I had friends that was called twice for an interview at the time that I wasn't even called once oh wow I don't know it might have changed but back then which is only three years ago it was a bit of a lottery who, who would get the assessment and not I'm sure they see so many it's it's hard for them to choose because I'm sure like you said there's so many people that want to become pilots and it's so hard for them to choose certain like I'm sure a lot of them are qualified. A lot of them are good. It's just hard for them to see every resume and actually look at all of them. Exactly. And this application was not even, you didn't even send your resume. You just filled in an online uh, already like pre-prepared uh, questionnaire, oh, wow. uh, which was basically nothing that was even personal. It was nothing that you could do to stand out really. It was just, what's your name? How old are you? Uh, and so on and so on. It was just questions like yes and no questions. That's crazy. It was yeah, it was first when you got to the assessment where you had, where you could actually show your personality. It might have changed now. I don't know how it works now, but at uh, back then it was, uh, it was just kind of luck. And then when you went to the assessment, that's when you had to show that you are qualified to do it. Interesting. That's, that's interesting to see that like they didn't request a resume to like get to know you more as a person and see what could stand out so they could like 
pick the best pilots rather than just, oh, well, we'll try him. And then they don't like him. And then they try someone else and stuff like that. So it's interesting to see. Exactly, yeah. So those two years before, after flight training and when you got a job with your airline, what did you do in those two years? Did you stay in aviation? Did you do other things? Did you think about giving up? What, what, what was the kind of the thought process? I started off trying to stay in aviation. So I did, I worked as airport security back in Sweden nice. at the airport where I did my flight training. I, I think you call it TSA. Is that yeah. Right? Yeah. TSA. Yeah, and I love that job. Really? I, it was so, yeah, it was, it was so much fun. I got to meet so many people. I stayed there because I wanted to meet the pilots that was passing through the security. Oh, and I wanted to really see smart. if any of them could maybe help me uh, to get an assessment or something. Cause it, we also dealt with private pilots there, the business uh, jets and so on. Uh, so I thought if I could stay within aviation, maybe I, I could get like a foot in somewhere. That is so uh, smart. It didn't help. Oh but, man. <laughs> uh, I was hoping that it would. <laughs> I think it was just because I'm too shy. I wasn't brave enough <laughs> to actually talk to the people that I should have talked to. That's and really like, funny. here's my resume. So uh, you had a good idea, uh, but it was just a fact exactly. that you Exactly. <laughs> and I was always too, when I was like put in a situation, I was like, oh, I'm just gonna. Yeah. You're like, oh, you're a pilot? Cool. Uh, me, me yeah. too? Yeah. Me too. I'm a pilot. That's really funny, yeah. But the job itself, I, I actually loved it. It was so much fun too. It's maybe a bit creepy, but you get to see what everybody has in the in the bags and you get to look for these things you've been trained for to look yeah. for. And I really, really enjoyed it actually. Did you ever have any big busts at all? Did you find anything big in anyone's luggage or not really? No, it was always innocent. Things like... Some people, maybe they just been out fishing or something. They had a big knife in the in the bag, but they didn't realize that the knife there. And they didn't mean to bring a knife. See, like they had all these fishermen equipment as well. And you like you try to explain, listen, I'm so sorry, but you cannot bring this $500 knife or whatever it costs. And then <laughs> you, like... You can't bring this uh, 12-inch knife on, on board. It's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and the equipment is like really expensive and you feel guilty standing there having to take it and... But of course, like that's that's what you have to do when you work in the airport security. Uh, but it was definitely interesting, and yeah, yeah. I was oh, I was flying commercially. It was probably a couple of years ago, and a little kid had brought in three BB guns with him. He was obviously a kid. He had no idea he couldn't bring them. But I mean, when they so they didn't know it wasn't a gun, so they had all of a sudden it was in Charlotte, North Carolina, at the airport there, and all of a sudden a ton of cops just like surround this like child, and I was like, what is happening? But they pulled out like guns. It's like, oh my gosh, this kid brought guns, but there were three BB guns. It was terrifying. But the kid had no idea. Yeah, I don't think anything really happened to him because it was an innocent mistake, like you said. But if that would have been an adult that knew better, I'm sure he would have gotten in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I think we deal with it a little bit different in Europe. Like we wouldn't make such a big scene of it. We wouldn't call like a lot of cops to surround a little kid. We would probably read like, okay, it's a kid. It's, yeah. It doesn't mean to we just take the stuff that's in his bag that it's not allowed to bring and then he can go. <laughs> yeah, pat little Johnny on the head, be like, oh, little kid, you know, you can't do that. <laughs> Sometimes, of course, if it was something extreme, I had to call the cops as yeah. well and have them come there because I didn't want to open the bag if I didn't know, if I wasn't sure what was in there. Yeah, no, definitely not. I don't want to open that bag. <laughs> exactly. Just leave that one. <laughs> so did you work that job the whole two years or did you work any other jobs at all? I did that for about a year and then I actually moved to Spain. And in Spain, I was lucky enough to find a cruise scheduling job for another airline here in Europe. So I did rostering. Uh, I don't know if you, I don't think you used the word rostering. I did scheduling for yeah, another scheduling. airline. Just scheduling the, the pilot's flights and holiday leave and maternity leave and all that kind of thing. Interesting. How's that? 
Uh, it was so much fun. I was so jealous at all the pilots that I did scheduling for because they would come back to me being unhappy with the schedule that they got. And I was like, seriously, like, we can swap if you want to. I could do that job and I don't even need any days off. That's how I felt at the time because I was so, I really just wanted to fly. But yeah, of course now I'm the same when I ask for my, the days off I want and I, if I don't get them, I'm, I'm like, why, why can you not give me the days off? And what the heck? I, I bleed for this company. What do you mean I can't get this day off? Yeah. <laughs> I need to go to the Bahamas. Yeah. <laughs> don't you know how important I am? Come on. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I do the same thing probably with my company when I request days off and I don't get, it. I'm like, what do you mean I can't get it off? I'm a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's exactly we're the best people to complain i think it is because we sit there in flight like we sit with someone we don't know the person that well and we sit for six to say eight hours and all we have to talk about all all we have in common is aviation and the company we work for so we're like yeah did you get christmas off no i didn't oh me neither why did you not give christmas off <laughs> yeah no that is so true and pilots love to complain i've been told and i've seen that and <laughs> it is true misery loves company too so once you sit with someone that complains a lot you're going to start complaining a little bit exactly exactly yeah. you kind of you want to be one of one of the guys you're like yep. yeah it's really bad and then secretly you're super happy <laughs> for sure that's funny did you have any kind of ulterior motives for this job too did you think hey i'll be talking to a bunch of pilots maybe i can be like hey this is your schedule i'll give you christmas off if you can get me a job here <laughs> maybe i had the intention sometimes when the the different chief pilots or something when they would ask for days off i was like yeah of course you can have that day off <laughs> of course you can you know i want to be a pilot right <laughs> No, I didn't. I was so happy. I was so lucky to actually have that job. Yeah. Uh, but I did when I went um, to the headquarter, which was in Scandinavia as well. Of course, I, I tried to ask around as much as possible. And my boss knew that I was a pilot. So she knew all the time that uh, probably I, I wouldn't stay there forever. If I got a pilot position, I would take it. At the time, that company wasn't hiring, so I couldn't go for them, uh, which was unfortunate. But yeah, that's what, that's what happened. Yeah. Did you ever think about quitting aviation in that time? Like, was it hard? Were you, did you ever think it's never going to happen? Or did you think about starting to do other things? Uh, I did. Actually, my all my licenses expired with 10 days when I was called for an interview for the airline that I work for today. Yeah. Because it was so expensive to keep the license. Because every year I had to fly a certain amount of hours to keep them val valid. And yeah. I had to do a check ride every year. And doing this job in Spain, I earned 1500 euros a month. So to fly for an hour was about 250 euros. So I couldn't really go flying. Uh, so it was a time when I felt like I can't afford to keep my license. So Man. I had to give them up. And I actually gave them up with 10 days. And then I was called for this interview. And I was like, Oh, my God, what am I going to do now? Now I have to pay even more to get them back if they actually expired. Uh, I don't, there was no question about it. I had to do it. Yeah. So did when you say you gave him up, was that you kind of like willing to give up the dream and you just got called? Like if you didn't get called in those 10 days, do you think you would have still actively pursued it? Uh, I think I would have got them back eventually. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, since uh, I couldn't really afford at the time to keep them alive, uh, but I would definitely have got back to it later on. Yeah, I mean, aviation's expensive no matter what country you live in, no matter where you are. It's like some days, like when you're before you become the airline pilot and before you work your way up the totem pole, you have to, if you want to keep your licenses, like you said, you it's 250 euros. Like that's a lot of money. That's like, do I get groceries for the week or do I go fly to keep everything exactly. up to date? It's like, I don't know what to do. I need to eat. Yeah. <laughs> we all know what the priority would be though. <laughs> 
Well, I'm glad it all worked out. I'm glad that like, it's crazy. It's really unfortunate that it happened after those 10 days, but I'm sure you were just so happy you got that job that you were, you were perfectly fine with it. And you knew that you were paying into it to continue and to eventually make more money. Exactly. It took a lot of time because the, the interview I had was scheduled in three weeks or something. And I needed to find somewhere in Spain where I could fly. I didn't speak the language. So I needed to find a school where they could speak English as well. And I needed to do all this at the same time as I wanted to repeat like all my ATP in theory because I didn't know what questions they were going to ask me on my interview. So I wanted to make sure that I was prepared. So in three weeks, I had to retake all my tests, get my license valid again and prepare for my interview for the airline. So I think I had about three hours of sleep every night for that three weeks. <laughs> I'm impressed that you got three hours of sleep. That sounds like it was 24 <laughs> hours a day for three weeks. That's intense. It pretty much was after my interview. The first thing I did was I went back to the hotel and I just opened the door. I lay down in bed and I was just started to crying for, I don't know, it felt like forever. I was so exhausted. Yeah. And it felt like I did so bad on my interview as well. But I was still so bad that it was over that I could finally get some sleep. Yeah, you're just so happy that you could sleep too. That I was like, okay, fine, I'll go to sleep now for uh, four weeks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm not glad you had struggles, but it's really encouraging to hear how like everyone struggles in their, this career. Like, there's no point A to point B. It's all over the place. Everyone does something different, and now you're doing what you want to do. You are. You have a great following on social media. You're being able to do everything you want to do and you're, you're really happy doing it. But people looking at you don't understand like the trials that you had to get to where you are and how it's not all fun and games. Pilot Being a pilot is sometimes not very sexy, you know, like for lack of better exactly. words, it's it's tough. It's it's not easy. So I'm kudos exactly. to you for sticking with it and everything that you've gone through. It's, it's, it's intense and it's crazy. And I'm glad that you stuck with it because a lot of people would just give up and just be like, that's that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I am on my social media. I am pretty good at just showing the positive side, but it's, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to, I'm happy to tell everybody about the struggles that I've had as well, but I'm just been so happy to be where I, where I'm at. So I've had similar struggles and you did, but now that I'm flying a job that I like, like I'm just posting all the good things I'm posting the pretty sunset pictures and posting me smiling. And sometimes I don't necessarily say everything that's happened. And I don't, I don't blame you at all. No one wants to, everyone likes to follow the happy and see everyone happy. So by all means do exactly. it. The days that we're flying clouds all the time, I don't take it. I know, right? yeah. <laughs> Mainly because I'm focused on flying the plane too. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's true. But it's good. To, it's good to post the good as well, because that, lets people see how awesome our job is and that helps people if someone posts bad stuff every single day they're not going to want to get into it but it's good to find a good mix where you're you're telling the you're telling them what it really is like to be a pilot and also post the amazing benefits of being a pilot exactly exactly i would never try to hide how i feel getting up quarter past three in the morning I'm a total wreck. Like, I don't want to get up quarter past three in the morning. I'd rather sleep. I know, right? I don't want to fly you on your vacation when I'm flying for the next seven days. Like, that doesn't make me feel good sometimes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'd rather just stay here. I jump off in the Caribbean with you. <laughs> so you got hired by your airline. Is there a lot of moving in those airlines? Like, so say you fly for this airline, can you still apply for other airlines or are you pretty much set with this company forever? No, you can apply for other airlines if you want to. Uh, for the time being, I'm happy where I'm at. Uh, yeah, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. I just didn't, I honestly I, I, didn't I guess know. I have, I, I have about uh, 2,500 to 3,000 hours on the 737 now. So I guess that would be 
enough hours to look for somewhere else. And there are a lot of people who, there is a lot of movement in, in the airlines here in Europe, people being unhappy, people complaining like pilots always want to do. And they want to <laughs> go and see what it's like working for other airlines, but sometimes it's not necessarily better. Uh, but it's always maybe worth to test the water and see what it's like. And then if, if you've done a good job, maybe. Yeah, no, for sure. Sometimes the grass isn't always greener on the other side. So yeah, sometimes it's best to stay where you're at. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's cool though. Cause I know one, like say in the States, if you get hired by American, if you get hired by Delta, United, Southwest, like you're not going anywhere. Like that's where you stay for the rest of your life. And you kind of just take the blow, like the punches and the good times and the bad times as I come, because those are like, there's no going up from those. Like those are the, the three or four that are at the top of the totem pole and you don't want to go down because you have to start over in seniority and stuff like that. So I didn't know if it was similar like that over there too. I think on the majors like on SAS and Lufthansa, Air France and so on, they have seniority. But the airline I work for, we don't have any seniority. So if I would leave and come back, I would be in the same situation pretty much. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, I think it's a mixture. It's both good and both bad. But of course, like for me, for example, I've, uh, I've asked for a base change for three years and maybe if I would have had a seniority number, maybe I could have seen it come closer to, to getting that base change. And now I just don't have any idea when, when it would come. They could call me tomorrow or they could never call me. Yeah. Obviously, if you had seniority lists, like you just put in your time and you know, you can kind of see the writing on the wall and you can see when you could make that change but without a seniority list. It's got to be kind of stressful. Be like, Hey, I've been asking you for three years if I could do something else. <laughs> can I please? <laughs> Exactly. But then again, I'm at, I am on a paradise island waiting for my time. So yeah. it's not like I'm complaining because I have the sea just outside my doorstep. Um, but that goes back to us talking about being pilots and wanting to travel and wanting to experience other things. It's like, I mean, I'm not saying that you're sick of where you're at, but you're ready just to experience something else. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And who knows, you might even come back and you might request to go back there when you go somewhere else. So you never know. Exactly. That's what I told everybody. Even if I would go somewhere else, I would definitely come back here for holiday because it's a beautiful place. Yeah. It's just I'm, I'm probably ready to see something else. It's got to be weird though in that you just have no idea if you can actually move. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right, Maria, I have this little rapid fire section that I'm going to ask you and it's just a couple of quick questions and it's nothing going to be too big. So it's just going to be the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. What's your favorite airplane you've ever flown? I, I do like to fly the Cessna 172 because you have the high wings, so you get the view. You don't have a wing that's in the way if you want to see what's on all the landscape. What is your favorite airplane in general? Maybe one that you haven't had the chance to fly yet or just anything that you've, any plane ever made, what's your favorite airplane? Concorde. I would love to fly the nice. Concorde. Nice. Yeah, those are really cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's just because it's nothing like it. Yeah, no. There's nothing like it. And it's crazy to think they built it so long ago, but they haven't had anything since then. I know, I know, it's insane. No, that that would be pretty cool. Even if I could just do it as a passenger, that would still be awesome. Yeah, that would be really cool. All right, what's your favorite airport you've ever flown to? Favorite airports I've ever flown to? I I did fly to Port Elizabeth when I was flying in South Africa, and I really, really like that place. It's just because I have so much good memories being in Port Elizabeth as well. Then and the approach in the airport was beautiful. So I, yeah, I was in Port Elizabeth. All right, here's one that might be tough, and you can say a top three or top five if you want to, because I don't know if you can just choose one. What's your favorite aviation Instagram account to follow? That is so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to have my favorite, or do you want to have the one I, I would like you to interview next? Uh, we'll do both. We'll do your favorite and the ones that you want me to interview next. 
Okay, so my two favorites, uh, of course, it has to be Marlene and Maria, my two best friends, uh, Maria the pilot and Fly Marlene. We come as a team. <laughs> the Swedish Flight Mafia. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. They're, they're my sisters, so they're my besties. <laughs> That's awesome. And for your next interview, I think you should uh, interview Dustin from Airplay Life because he took a different route from a lot of other people. He's flying for the Air Force and for American. Okay. And I think that's interesting for people to see how you can combine doing both of that. For sure. No, that's definitely really cool. And you don't really think about people still doing both of them. You think of them either choosing one or the other, but knowing that you can fly like a, a really cool airplane and also fly like, a, I don't know, a Airbus 320 or a 767 is pretty cool. Exactly. And it has an interesting story as well. So I think that would definitely be good for a podcast. Cool. We want to interview everyone we can. We'd like to tell everyone's story if we could. So that's awesome. Do you prefer longer trips or shorter trips? So would you rather, I know that you could probably fly just more in Europe, but would you rather fly like across the ocean to go to different countries or would you rather just fly from city to city in europe maybe like hour flights versus four to six hour flights uh, right now i do an average of one and a half hours per flight and i do four sectors a day i'd like to change that to do maybe two long sectors yeah instead and um, you get a lot of experience doing the short sectors because it's in descent and landing and climb out and lift off that you actually get to practice in cruise you don't really do much but I feel now that after I've been here for three years, I've done enough landings. I've done enough descent plannings. I don't feel I necessarily need to practice that more. So I'd like to go on to have more longer flights, maybe. I know a lot of pilots that fly like the 787 or the 777. They actually have trouble staying legal with getting enough landings. So it's like a fight for whoever gets to wow. land at night or whoever gets to land in the daytime because they just don't have that many opportunities. They fly once or twice like every other week and they fly, they get two landings and they have to fight over who gets it. Oh my God, that's, in, that's true. Yeah, we do, I do 20 sectors a week. So we do 50-50, so I do at least 10 landings a week. Yeah, that's awesome. And they would kill to have that kind of flying. So it's funny when you when you like talk to the two different people, it's whatever you would always, there's always some pluses of doing both sides. Yeah, definitely. All right. So would you rather fly over cities, mountains, the country, or a beach? Beach. I'm a beach person. Yeah. I, I like the view to come in for a landing and you see just the colors of the, the ocean. Yeah. If I had to answer this question, I would combine mountains and the beach. Get a nice beach with mountains in the background. Yeah. All right. Here's one. If you weren't a pilot, what would you want to be? If I weren't a pilot, I wanted to do something probably that would... Uh, include traveling still because that's that's what actually got me into aviation uh maybe like a food critics or something that could travel to different places and because then you could combine both traveling and eating which is pretty much both the best things and you could just try all food in different places it doesn't get much better than that exactly so maybe maybe something like that <laughs> all right if you had to choose one of these three what would you choose would you rather have piper cessna or diamond cessna cessna because because there's no wings in the way for the view and here's one more what is one thing you have to have on you at all times while flying it could be like sunglasses an ipad gopro iphone something like that I'd like to say GoPro, but I can't bring that one on every flight. <laughs> yeah, no, unfortunately, <laughs> airlines don't let us bring our GoPros everywhere we want. But every time when I fly private, that's the that's the must. Yeah, for sure. And a good for the airline, it's a good noise canceling headset because the yeah. 737 is very loud, and we fly headset on all the time. Yeah, if I, so would, I like my goose. <laughs> yeah, if I could recommend to anyone starting out, invest in a nice headset. It'll save your hearing, and it also just make it so much easier. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I'm team Bose too. I have a Bose A20 and I love it. 
Yeah, me too. Yeah. I love it. I've had mine now for about two years. Well, cool. So now we have, uh, you asked some questions from your followers and I wrote some of them down. Are you ready to answer a couple of them? I am. All right. Number one, I even have the names for some of them. So I'm sorry if I don't say them right or the, the, the usernames. But this one is from ATR12. What's the best part of your job? The view. It's always going to be the view. Yeah. I love sunset views. Yeah. (laughs) Without a doubt. Nothing gets better than a sunset, a nice clear day and a beautiful sunset when you're flying. Yes. Or yesterday we had a beautiful moonrise and that's not as common. It's a red moon just rising from the horizon. You're like, it's 10 o'clock at night. Why is the sun rising? That's pretty much what it looks like. Yeah. Here's one from Nacho dot Nachev, I believe. It's how do you manage to get a good rest before an early morning flight? Are there any routines that you follow or is it just kind of different every day? At the company I work for, we do five days of late shifts and five days of early shifts. We have four days off in between. So I have four days off that I can adapt to whatever schedule that's coming next. Uh, and especially the earliest, it's hard. It's difficult to go to bed because I know I have to get up like yeah. four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> For sure. Especially yeah, when people but, are doing so many fun things around you and you're just like, oh, I really want to do that, I know, but I have a flight. I exactly. So what I do is just like good window blinds and earplugs yeah. and just force myself to go to sleep. For sure. Yeah. Well, um, get some blinds that block all the light because you get, as a pilot, you have to sleep at all different kind of hours and you just have to be able to sleep whenever. Exactly. That's nice that you get to know a little bit of when when you're flying because my I talked to you a little bit earlier my schedule it's 10 days on and I'm on call for 24 hours and could fly for be up for 36 hours at a time when I get called out so it could be interesting sometimes you know, this one it's really lucky I basically know now if I'm gonna wear Christmas 2036 oh wow that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> well it's awesome and it's not good yeah yeah how do you manage your time when you're doing ground school? Like, how do you maintain a healthy lifestyle? How do you make sure you sleep eight hours, you go to the gym, you eat healthy? Just how do you keep a healthy balance? And that is from EA Chavaria. Uh, so that was during the, the ground school, like when I did my ATPL then, I guess. Yeah. So that's during your ATPL. And I guess you could even like segue that to you're also training at your airline too, because I'm sure that was pretty rigorous as well. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, during uh, when I did a type rating, it was really tough because uh, it was a whole new aircraft to learn. And of course, the systems in a 737 are a lot different from the systems in a Cessna uh, 172. It's a lot more to learn. Uh, so what I did, I did the same as I did during my ATP and I would set the alarms every day, even if I didn't have any scheduled uh, simulator or anything, I would get up early in the morning. I would sit and I would study with a, do you call them mock-ups as well? Yeah. You have like a model of the airplane. Yeah. yeah. I would sit and I would practice flows and I would look at the switches and know what they did. And if I didn't know the system, I would go back in the, the manuals and I would read about it. And, um, I think during the time that you study, you just have to prioritize that. It's of course, you should eat healthy as well as healthy as you can. But sometimes when you're tired, it's just. You just need to get like a Snickers bar or something to stay awake. Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, it's hard to eat yeah. healthy because, like you said, you get tired flying. You get mentally exhausted. The last That's thing you want to do is spend time. Maybe you don't have food. You have to go buy groceries. The last thing you want to do is put in more time and not eat right away. So exactly, you don't have two hours to cook. It's yeah, you impossible. don't. And- Sometimes you don't get eight hours of sleep. Some nights you get five hours of sleep, but yep. that's what you have to put through when you do the studying. Cause yeah. And even when you fly, there's no perfect, like you said, there's no perfect night. Like you're not guaranteed to 
to get a full eight hours of sleep, but you still have to make sure you're taking care of your body because you're you have a responsibility to take. You're in charge of these passengers. You have these people that your their lives depend on you performing. So you have to make sure you can perform at a certain standard. Exactly, exactly. You just have to get as much routine as you can and try to yeah adapt to getting up four o'clock in the morning. You you take the blinds down, you put the earplugs in, you go to bed at eight o'clock so you know you for sure get enough sleep. Yeah, you have to have some sort of, obviously you have to maintain a certain level of professionalism when you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes even if you don't fall asleep straight away, your body is still resting even if you're just lying in bed and waiting to fall asleep. For sure, yeah. I've, there's been many times where I've just been lying down and then it's just been, I get caught out, but I've been, like you said, I've just been resting. I haven't been outside or wasting energy or anything like that and that helps a long way. Exactly. And definitely exercise as much as you can too. That's another thing that's hard because that's the last thing you want to do after a long day, but it's going to help you out so much and it's going to help you stay awake and it's going to help you with your endurance and everything. So I would main, I would recommend people exercise. Definitely. definitely. I did a lot of uh, jogging and running during my flight training because that's something I could do. I didn't have to plan to go to the gym or do anything like that. I could just put my trainers on and I could go out and run for 40 minutes then I could come back again just have a quick shower and go back to the school book again I, it didn't take much time it was maybe one hour maximum from yeah. leaving the house coming back again and being ready to start studying again yeah anything anything helps it doesn't matter if it's 20 minutes an hour 30 minutes just just try just do something <laughs> exactly yeah. get some energy out and it will gain you more energy pilots are like they need routines they need to figure out like they need a schedule they need like you said when you're studying you woke up at this time you did this you did that you did that having that same routine going down like after you land you always eat this healthy food or you always make sure you go work out or you wake up and work out and you just have a good routine a healthy lifestyle to live by yeah that's true i never thought about that but i actually bring pretty much like Every flight, I bring the same food because I know it works for me to eat that food in flight. And it's just become a routine. And yeah. So Maria, let's go ahead and talk about your Instagram. Obviously, yeah. you have a big following. Did you ever, like when you started this Instagram page, did you ever want to have this following? Was this part of a plan or did this kind of just all happen? Uh, it, it just happened, actually. To be honest, it was never a plan to gain a lot of followers. I didn't even know that you could do it. I, I remember when I had other aviation accounts liking my pictures or something, I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. Why are they <laughs> liking my pictures? They're, they're way, way cooler than I am. And it just started off me kind of like wanting to show what flying was like because I lived away from home. My parents didn't really know what I was doing. My dad obviously was really proud of me flying. So I wanted to be able to show him the airplane because I couldn't take him flying in it because, of course, the rules have changed. You can't just bring someone to flight deck. Right. So I wanted to to show everybody at home what flying was like. And then I learned how to – I learned to find other accounts that had similar interests as I had, and I learned to use hashtags. And I realized how big aviation is. It's not just us pilots flying the airplanes. It's everything from flight attendants to ground handlers to – flight spotters to people who fight flight simulators at home it's uh, the interest is so big and i didn't really realize how lucky i was to actually fly these planes in real life right i would agree i i don't i mean just starting this instagram account i had no idea what the aviation community was actually like on instagram and it is unbelievable like it the is. reach and the people you can talk to and just how like awesome it is 
It is. It is like I met I am Rachel that you had on a podcast earlier. Yeah. I was in Los Angeles last year and I met her there and she's just an amazing girl and I would never have met her if it wasn't yeah. for Instagram. It's so cool and it's so crazy how it puts you in contact. Like I would have never talked to you if it wasn't for Instagram. I would have never talked to half these people I've interviewed if it wasn't for Instagram. So it's awesome. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Yeah, the community is the, the best part, definitely. Yeah, for sure. When did you start realizing that you maybe had like a following or you were actually kind of getting noticed out there on Instagram? So I, I set myself goals, like my first goal after I started to get a little bit of followers, like when I had first time I saw that the little orange thing said 10 new followers or something, I was like, oh my God. Uh, so I set a new goal, which was I want to have 3,500 followers, which at the time was approximately that many pilots we had working for the company that I'm working for. Oh, that's cool. So I thought if I had 3,500 followers, it's as many pilots as we have for the company. <laughs> so that was my first goal. And then when I reached 3,500, I was like, how cool would it be to have, like, I wonder what it's after passing 9,999 yeah. I wonder what the 10 looks like will it say 10,000 or what will it look like so that was my next goal and then it kind of just grown from there and uh, last year about a year ago I was just lucky that Instagram themselves contacted me and asked if they could post one of my pictures and they did and I I woke up with about 30,000 new followers the oh following day oh my gosh day. that's incredible I, I, I remember reading uh, the message, messages sent from Marlon and Maria, because obviously we have a, a group chat and yeah. they've been up longer than I had and they seen the pictures before I seen it. And they were just writing in the chat like, Oh my God, <laughs> Maria has to wake up. I wonder what Maria is going to say when she wakes up. Oh, she's going to wake up to this. This is amazing. That's so funny. And I woke up in the morning and it was like, yeah, it, it, that was just luck. That's how I grew my following. That it was thanks to that Instagram posted one of my pictures. It's so cool that you had a, a good support system that was happy for you. Because a lot of people, there's kind of like a pettiness and they would be kind of sad that it's not them. But it's so cool that you had like a little a little team that was behind you and was happy for you. Yeah. No, oh my God, yeah, they were the best. No, we would never think of competing with each other. We're, we're a team. We're That's awesome. We're Swedish Mafia. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's cool. That's a, that's a good name. It fits yeah, very it well. It comes from the from the music group. Have you ever heard of the Swedish House Mafia? They do a DJ uh, trio. So I actually just, have heard of that's, yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's yeah. good. I mean, it, it's it's sticking and it's catchy, so why not, right? <laughs> that's cool. Thank you. So you actually, did you meet them on Instagram too, or did you know them before you started flying, or before you started your Instagram page? Marlene, I has a Fly Marlene. I knew from before because we went to the fly, same flight school back in Sweden, uh, I was a year ahead of her, so I didn't really know her, but I knew who she was, and I thought she was a really cool girl. But um, at the time, like I uh, studied so much, she, she studied, and I was quite shy, and we didn't really become friends uh, until we started Instagram and we started following each other. And she was a great support because she got the job. She was hired before I was hired, and she always asked me like, "How's it going?" And, so this was on Facebook before we had Instagram. She would, she always asked me, like, how's it going? Have you heard anything back? Are you going to go for an assessment? So she was actually the first one I told that I was going for the assessment because she emailed me on Facebook at the same time as I got the email from the airliner. And I was like, you cannot believe what just happened. <laughs> so I think it was her good spirit kind of like gave me the interview because then 
she, I was actually chatting with her on Facebook at the same time as I found out that I actually got the job as well. So I thought like, Molly, whenever I do something, like whenever I have to go to a business meeting or something, you have to come with me. Because That's really funny. Like, yeah. You're my yeah. good luck charm. You must be with me exactly. at all times. <laughs> you must be here right to my side all the time. <laughs> That's really funny. I'm sure she doesn't mind that though. Yeah. We go, we go traveling together. Yeah, right. Yeah, she'd appreciate that. And Maria, actually, I um, I didn't know her before. Uh, we started following each other quite early on Instagram. Uh, I think we were both. She, no, she she actually had. She wasn't official back then on her Instagram. She had another username. She did. She wasn't Maria the pilot, but I followed her because I knew that she flew for the same airline as I did. And I was lucky enough to get a transfer, a temporary transfer, just over the winter to the base where she's based. And. Uh, yeah, she, she took me out for lunch and just showed me around when I got there. And then eventually, because the hotels were so expensive in high season, she was like, Maria, it's ridiculous. You're paying this amount of money for a hotel that's rubbish. Why don't you just move in with me instead? And we could just have a lot of fun. So I moved in on Maria's sofa and then I stayed with her for six months and we became just like sisters. That's really cool. That's so cool to see. Like like we were talking about earlier, it's just like you that would have never happened if it wasn't for Instagram. Exactly. I would probably just have seen her as a, a beautiful girl in the crew room or something. I would never have known who she really was. But since we kind of knew each other through Instagram before, it wasn't weird at all. That's so funny. Yeah, no, that's cool. You guys are all from Sweden, correct? Yes, we're all from Sweden. From completely different parts, or are you guys actually kind of close to each other? We're from completely different okay. places. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, so it is really cool how it connected you guys and brought you guys together and formed the Swedish Flight Mafia. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Taking over Instagram. <laughs> when did companies start reaching out to you? Was it what, like, how many followers did you have when companies would? want to fly you out to do cool stuff like when you got to fly with the brightling when you got to fly with them and all that kind of when did that all kind of start uh, i think most of it actually started after instagram posted my pictures uh i had i had hundred thousand followers before instagram posted my pictures but then i reached until two hundred thousand within a week of oh, the day post wow. a picture pretty much that's incredible <laughs> maybe not exactly but pretty yeah. much that it, it was insane uh, and I think that's when a lot of other companies started reaching out. Uh, maybe they would have done it before Instagram posted my pictures, but it, it was just a good way to be shown. Like people yeah. would see my account just because they reposted my picture. For sure. Before that, uh, people were still interested in aviation, but it was just that they didn't know about me. It's crazy how like I'll even not even on aviation, but like I'll see like I'll find someone that has a million followers. You're like, I've never heard of you before. How do I not know who you are? You have a million followers, but Instagram's exactly. such a big place. But yeah. like, if you're like, if it's outside of your community, like you could never know who someone is that has millions of followers. Exactly. But it's, it's like with the, with one of the companies that I go on a lot of events with the GoPro family and they reached out to me last year uh, and asked if I wanted to be a member of the GoPro family. And I've had GoPro since the Hero 3 was out. So I've had GoPro for years. So of course I want to be a member of the GoPro family. And I don't think, I think they would probably still have done it even if I had 5,000 followers. It doesn't matter if I have 300 or if I have 2,000. If they think that you're a good fit for it, then you would still be allowed to be a member of the GoPro family. That's cool. So I don't think it's uh, it had anything to do with numbers. It had more to do 
just uh, representing the brand and believing in the brand before because I've always had that kind of cameras before. And I feel like companies can kind of tell if you come in with like an angle where you just want free stuff rather than like you genuinely like the product and the company. Exactly. Like one of my Hero 5s that I have, I bought it myself because I broke the other one. And I'm <laughs> sure that Go- GoPro probably, is, being a GoPro family member, they were probably like giving me a new one, but I... It's still like I so believe in the brand that I don't really, I didn't really mind to get one because right. the, the first one I had, I got for free. But then, yeah, because I broke it, then I needed to get another one. Right. You're like, well, why would they give me another one if I broke it? So I need it's, to go buy one. <laughs> as you said, like, it's not about getting free stuff. It's about, it's, it's a brand I would, I would still have got that camera even if they wouldn't have given it to me for free. Well, hopefully they'll listen to this and maybe they'll send you another one just in case you break another one. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> So if someone was starting today an Instagram page and they wanted the huge following that you have now, is there anything that you would, like any advice you would give them, post regularly, just anything that they would do? Or do you think it's, like you said earlier, it's kind of luck, it's kind of just producing good content, putting your head down and just being consistent with what you're posting? You need to be genuine. You need to be real about what you're posting. If you're just posting pictures because you want to have free stuff or something like that, and you want to grow a following, I think people can see that through. You still, because it's so, with Instagram and social media, you kind of get to be personal, you get to be yourself and express yourself on a personal level. It's, it's not like you're a, you're not a celebrity and people kind of feel that they know you because it's you, it's personal and you still you have to show that, I believe, to get a good following. I would agree. I think your followers... Even doesn't matter how many followers you have. I think they can kind of get a general idea if you have other ideas with your Instagram page and you're not being genuine. Like they can tell by what you post, what you talk about, just the life that you live. So you can't fool them. You have to be genuine, like you said, and you have to be committed to them and kind of like let them into your life a little bit, be a little bit vulnerable. Exactly. exactly. Because it is a community. You kind of, you are letting people in and showing them your life because that that's what the whole social media is about for sure yeah it's it's showing them our awesome career that we have and what we get to do for a living exactly all right maria those are all the questions i have for you today uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast i think it's so cool that you're willing to come on the podcast and you're willing to kind of give a different side of yourself to your your followers because I mean, they haven't heard you talk like they're going to get to hear you for 45 to an hour and they get to kind of hear your story, hear how you tell it, get a chance to get your personality a little bit more. And I think it's really cool. And it's really encouraging to hear your story and hear how humble you are and how you've worked really hard and how you've had kind of a, a difficult path and how that can really help someone else that's kind of struggling with flying. Maybe they're in the same situation where they're working the TSA in Europe and they're trying to get a pilot job and they want to do what they want to do. But you have done the same thing and you can show your story you can show them that it's possible to be done and that's really cool thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for letting me tell my story and uh, be able to share all my my struggles and my victories as well <laughs> for sure i mean that's what it's all about it's we have a duty to where we are to help other people because other people have helped us out in the in the past so it's up to us now to help the future of aviation and this is one way that we can do it so i really appreciate it thank you so much thank you for having me hopefully we'll have you back on soon yes definitely And with that, episode 14 is a wrap. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I'm so thankful for the time that you guys put in to listen to these podcasts, to reach out to me, to connect to me on Instagram, our website, or even email me. If you want to be on the podcast, go ahead and shoot me an email, connect to me on Instagram. 
I love responding to you guys. So go ahead and do that. And one quick note, thank you to Luigi from Kalashock.com. He's the one that's helped me create this website. He's the one that's going to help me create version 2.0. If you guys are looking for a website, go to Kalashock.com and contact Luigi. And one more thing before we go, I want to go ahead and give a huge shout out to our Patreon supporters. There are two that are in the support group where you get a shout out on the podcast. I want to give a shout out to Daniel Morrissey and Josh Ortiz. Thank you guys so much. You guys are truly awesome and I'm so thankful for your support. Avi Nation, if you want to be mentioned on this podcast, head to patreon.com, support us, read the reward tiers, see which group is right for you. You do not have to give by any means and the podcast will always be free. It's just there if you want to support this podcast and help it grow. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day.